Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today, Joachim Ryman, PhD, was born in Berlin, Germany, and he migrated to the United States at age 10. He combines his personal, family, academic, and clinical experiences to provide a firsthand account of the challenges migrants face and the strengths that allow them to overcome obstacles, all in his new book, Immigrant Concepts, Life Paths to Integration. It's written with his wife, Dolores Rodriguez Ryman, PhD, and available on Amazon, Barnes Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything, I'm going to call you Joe. For everything about Joe, go to immigrantscreening.com. And Joe, welcome to the show. And by the way, for our audience who may say, why are you calling him Joe instead of trying to pronounce his first name too many times? It's because you gave me permission to call you Joe. It's been kind of my my tip of the hat to acculturation. Excellent. When I, became, <laughs> when, I, when I became, when I came to the States, I had a choice according to the people I was talking to. I could be Joe or I could be Achim. And Achim, and Achim in Germany is a guy, comic book character like Tarzan that swings through the trees and has a monkey on his shoulder. So I was not going to be a Tarzan German style. So I went with Joe. That would not only be a monkey on your shoulder, it would be a monkey on your back for your entire career. (laughs) Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes of your book, in the publicity material about the book, I want to quote something from it. Here's what it says. Immigration, and it may be you speaking directly, but it was from the material. Immigration presents challenges for for both migrants and their new countries. Yet the continuous immigration movement has led to the ever-evolving core of society, helping create rich cultural environments, unquote. So before we get into the main focus of the book, what is the impact on society, America particularly, if immigrants do not absorb the values of the majority culture? Certainly there's vibrant cultural minorities in the United States, but does it reach an unusual situation where if you have a certain number of immigrants or migrants coming in, that don't want to accept the larger concepts of and culture of the majority. I'll leave it up to you. So there are a number of aspects of this. Uh, when we talk about acculturation, we're not just talking about assimilation. We're talking about various ways to do that. And that includes becoming bicultural, that becomes staying more traditional, which is, I think, what you're talking about. And, you know, I'm not in a position to judge which one is better, but I will say this. When somebody stays more traditional, let's say doesn't learn the language, stays in their neighborhood, which may be largely made up of folks like them from their community, then there is a a risk that people will become isolated. That may have economic impact on them. That's not good. And so, you know, I, I encourage people to explore the wider world if they're coming into a new country. And part of that is also, there was some concern among people that, well, if I if I become, quote, more American, unquote, then I will lose who I am. And we know that acculturation, meaning, okay, here's the language, here are the roadside, here's what, what you don't drive on the left, you drive on the right side of the road and stuff like that is not automatically the same as ethnic identity. So, for example, you can... Acculturation doesn't mean that you lose who you are as a person, as who your culture you identify with, and so on. In fact, from a psychological perspective, 
there's something called the immigrant paradox, which basically says that some immigrants actually, in terms of health and other aspects of their life, mental health and so on, do better than the local population, even though they're economically challenged, at least at the beginning. So then the question is, why is that? Mm -hmm. And what we know is that the cultural context, let's say from collective cultures like Mexican, um, uh, Americans, and so on, it is actually uh, a support system which is helpful to somebody's physical health, mental health, and so on. Yes, including strong families, for example. So you could be economically disadvantaged, that typical phrase. But at the same time, if you have a strong family that supports each other, then you can certainly prosper in a lot of other areas other than economically. And, and so I think that would be a good example of what you're talking about. Right. And as generations progress, there obviously will be more acculturation to, towards the mainstream right. society. And so across the board, we know that the kids of immigrants tend to, on average, do better than, than their parents. And actually sometimes better again than the, the new part the general population of the country. Right. I know that this is not your, your bailiwick, but I think part of the concern by some is not immigration or migration per se. It's the process and whether it's an orderly process and whether there's checks and balances and whether security is involved as well, especially after 9-11. I know that's not, as I say, it's not your bailiwick, but I'm sure from your work, you could understand that side of the equation that okay, are we vetting people coming into the country, regardless of where they come in, southern border, northern border, regardless of the countries they come from, and then using either the southern or northern border, that that is a, a part of the overall equation of how you help immigrants assimilate or at least function in today's society. So again, we know from a general overview that, at, I think you said at the very beginning, that immigration in the reasonable quantities, let's put it this way, supports the host country, enriches the host country, and so on. But even too much cotton candy can be a bad thing. <laughs> <You're> right. right. <laughs> so, and I mean, I have family still right now from my wife's side that, uh, that live in Eagle Pass. I live in El Paso. So I have direct contact with people on the ground who live in all the places that you hear about on the news every day about the, the massive migration coming over. So, yes, there is too much of a good thing. And, yes, we need a more organized process in order to be able to get those people in who, under the law, have a, have a legitimate right to be here. You know, in the political arena, unfortunately, it's oftentimes between open borders, quote unquote, and walls. And, you know, the the reality is somewhere in between. I think the only place in the actual world that has real open borders is the EU, where you can travel from, let's say, Germany to France without too much of a hassle. But um, I don't think anybody who is, is reasonable about the immigration process has uh, the idea that open borders is what we ought to do. We should have an organized process. Right now, it's a big challenge because of the, the number of people from particularly from Venezuela and and uh, the Northern Triangle and in Central, you know, America that are coming in. That's that's a tough thing to handle. 
You know, I referenced in the beginning, I always start the show with people who are intriguing and have, among other things, passion about what they do. How did you develop your passion for immigration in a general sense? And then we can get specifically into why you wrote this book and other books on the subject, which are available on your website, which I mentioned earlier, which is immigrantscreening.com. Well, I think that uh, if you, when you get a, if you write a doctoral dissertation, it is, you end up, if you're successful, you end up focusing on something that you have a real interest in. And oftentimes that comes from personal background. And so I, I started looking and I had years of experience in El Paso working for a private industry council, which was basically a workforce development scenario. And so I wanted to find out if some of the stereotypes, particularly around Mexican Americans and their value in the workplace was, was a real thing or was it something that was misunderstood? And it turned out to be misunderstood. So the bottom line is we pick topics that we have a personal investment in. And uh, my personal investment is, you know, having gone through the process myself, being dropped into the American school system at age five with no English speaking whatever. My wife actually spoke English very well when she came to the U.S. from Mexico. Uh, so she had an advantage in that part and zoomed through American high school graduating in the 11th grade. But it was a little bit of a tougher road for me, at least at the beginning. So that kind of lived experience that informs not just the kind of academic stuff that you do, which is at a, you know, abstract level, let's do the statistics and, and see what the p values are, which regular folks don't know anything about it was the whole thing was driven by by i think personal experience both from my wife's part and mine and also you know what keeps us focused on the ground and what's really happening with people is for example i i did a a project with San Diego State University, Islamic Center of San Diego, which resulted in, after 9-11, which resulted in a report about needs in the uh, North African and Eastern African and the greater Middle Eastern population. Word got around somehow. I became the board chair for Somali Family Service of San Diego for about four years. And my clinical practice, which is not necessarily advertised on the, the book and the and that website, but that is still um, a part of what I do now, suddenly my practice turned into roughly 60% Somali refugees. So this is supposedly a population that is never going to come to psychotherapy because of cultural taboos and so on, but here they were. The fact that the imam said I was okay probably helped with that. But for my own education, that continued to allow me to understand what the in on the ground reality let's say what that particular population was like both in terms of where they came from and what they're dealing with here when they come to the states did you discover when you were writing the book with your wife that you discovered things you didn't really know because usually when you're somewhat versed on a subject you can write about it you may do obviously additional research but you generally know your material. But here's a case where you may have come up against something you didn't know, such as a statistic or just a insight that, wow, hey, here's something we can write about in addition to everything else we're writing about. 
Did you have that moment? There were a couple of different times when, well, let me back it up. The way we did the books was basically to write in a way that lay people can understand. But in terms of the, the background research and this, the number of references from, from peer reviewed publications, it's, you know, it's academically referenced as a research journal article would be. And the reason for that was there's a lot of you know, misinformation about uh, immigration and immigrants that, that floats around in the world. And so we wanted to focus on, you know, just the facts, ma'am. Joe Friday from a different generation. <laughs> Drag- Dragnet, yes. <laughs> Dragnet, right. Uh, and so we knew that if the book was going to be scrutinized, they were going to say, Oh, well, where did you get this? Must be off the internet someplace from some political site that has an agenda. And no, we wanted to focus on the reality of what's going on and what we actually know. So in the process, did I discover new information? Yes, absolutely. And in, in, in a lot of cases, it was like the economic impact using that as an example. And we try to focus not just on the United States, but on uh, immigration Im- impact in the uh, the UK and in the EU and, and so on. We and we have contacts in, still in Germany and, and other places that kind of inform us around that. And so there were global things that were happening where there was a trend across countries that showed the same thing about let's say the benefits of as well as the challenges of immigration and yeah certainly as a former german i tell people i'm i'm everybody considers me german except people in germany (laughs) (laughs) i'm an american but i I had a certain amount of pride that angela merkel even though she caught some political flag for that uh, was decided to kind of do the right thing and bring that many people into the country. And so the way that's been handled, even though there is political blowback, is I think we can learn from that. So I learned a lot of the ins and outs of of what was going on across the world. Things I already had a sense about, but I didn't have like the the really the evidence to back up my opinion. And I found a lot of evidence to that. Were you, were you surprised by any of that evidence, or you just confirmed your quote-unquote bias? Uh, what I mean is your opinion, clearly. I'm being a little bit yeah. funny there. I don't think I was I was surprised at how prevalent some of the stats were in terms of across the world. Mm-hmm. And you always have to be careful because there's something called confirmation bias, which basically means that you pay attention to things that you believe and you ignore things that you don't believe. Human nature, yes. Yeah. So I try to keep that in mind, but overall the the book the writing of the books was was interesting to me because I did learn a lot of the nooks and crannies of how this all works. Even though I didn't change my mind necessarily about immigration's, you know, impact in the world, there was a lot of nuance to it that, that was new to me. Well, a, a fellow former German Henry Kissinger was quoted recently as reconsidering what his original opinion was in terms of migration, especially in Europe, and that he 
I think there's the challenges there in terms of destabilizing an area, whether it's a country or the European Union per se. And so he's coming at it now from a different opinion than what he started out. So this is a subject that's definitely ripe for debate. And in the book, and you mentioned books because it's more than one book. If you want to share with our audience the other books that you've written, that would be fine in terms of that subject. I know it's part of a series. Right. So the first book that you're mentioning was, let's say, kind of an overview book of uh, the factors that are involved in helping folks in integrate. And it wasn't focused on who gets in and who it, it stays out legally. It was right. more like people are going to get in and of those people who are going to get in, what do we do to try to help? And that it has benefits not just for them, but for us as and everybody wins. The second book was focused more on immigrant psychology. In other words, what what do people come in with because of their personal history that may result have resulted in trauma, but also, like we already started to talk about with the so-called immigrant paradox, what kind of resilience do they have that really strengthens you know who they are and may strengthen our society overall? The third book that is almost out, we're on the last piece of that, focuses more on general health, public health, uh, global public health, and how immigration plays a part in that. Uh, and I think we we have learned a lot, unfortunately, in some ways, obviously during the COVID pandemic, where which was the time we wrote most of these books. And, you know, we kind of hit out, and this is what we do, did in, in terms of, of our professional stuff, in, in addition to doing telehealth with folks. And, you know, one of the things we, we learned as part of the pandemic is that when a critical need arises, we need to loosen our, our regulations a little bit, particularly about people who have been licensed in foreign lands as healthcare providers, physicians, and so on. And that was actually done during COVID. But, uh, you know, and nothing bad happened. In fact, they, uh, those people who came in and contributed to that, not just here, but across the world in Great Britain and so on, they, they probably saved a lot of lives. And we need to learn from that. I think that's um, always a case where they loosen the restrictions in the case of a major emergency, because generally speaking, those restrictions are more from an economic point of view, meaning that you have a group of special interests, regardless of what the practitioners are, that want to restrict entry into the, their field as much as possible. But that's for another day. But again, this particular book, Immigrant Concepts, Life Paths to Integration, part of what you provide in it is practical advice or suggestions for uh, social service agencies, healthcare providers, uh, employers, and you mentioned earlier the immigrants themselves. How did you come up with these suggestions? When we did community needs assessment uh, with the local Middle Eastern East African populations, we kind of came up with a model. And that model was, okay, what are the needs and how, how do you then address them? And uh, so the first step in that was to do a needs assessment and say, okay, there's a lot of information floating around of maybe what's going on, what's not, but we need to somehow formalize a little bit. The second step is then how do you inform employers, healthcare providers, and so on, how to best serve that population? And how do you get the word out to the population in terms of 
where they can get access to certain services. And part of what we're also doing is, uh, this is not the book per se, but we talk about a measure that we're doing in the book, which actually comes out of more of the psychological practice background, where we say, okay, through a kind of a questionnaire, what does, if you're an individual immigrant, what are your particular needs? Okay. In, in, in terms of the acculturation process, in terms of economics, uh, workforce development, and all the dimensions that are important. And then on the other end, if, so this could potentially result in kind of a service plan for you as an individual, which is maybe different from the guy from the same country that's two steps away from you in the line, but this is more focused on you on a global or on a aggregate data perspective, it could inform agencies about how they need to spend their money. In other words, we're going to put this need as higher than this one. So we're going to spend our, our, our money more on this and have this be a smaller pile. And uh, so, you know, number one, what's going on? Number two, outreach to the community in terms of informing them about services and outreach to service provider in terms of what's going on with the community so everybody kind of gets on the same page and and has a an idea of what's really needed in in san diego and i think it got a little bit hampered by COVID too but there's this thing called uh, welcoming san diego which includes local government agencies and all kinds of people that are trying to coordinate this all together and uh, the, the parent organization of Gomo Books that, that I'm involved with is actually a, a partner organization in that effort. Do you think that at some point you may deconstruct your book and use elements of it as in a manual form so that you can get specific parts of it to the specific people? So an example would be a manual for the, an agency, a manual for the immigrant or immigrants themselves, a manual for other kinds of people that would need that information. Do you see that happening? In other words, taking the elements of your book that are practical and putting them in a manual form down the road for those specific areas, agencies, immigrants, etc. So one of the challenges, of, and I think that that's actually a good idea, and I can see that happening. One of the challenges for us is to write a book which is really addressed in, at more than one audience. And so we're trying to address both the immigrants and the people working with the immigrants. And I understand that would be a, an advantage somewhere down the line to use this in a kind of a manual format, as mm -hmm. you say, in order to say, okay, folks, here is from the immigrant standpoint, here's where you go, here's what you do, you know, here are the resources, here are the avenues that you have open to you. And also from the other end and to say, okay, here's kind of the, the, the circumstances that you need to think about when providing help, whether it's mental health or whatever, to that population. I, you know, from the mental health perspective, I can give you a very brief example. Some time ago, we learned that here locally, we used to have the second largest Somali population in the, in the states. I think it's gone down to third or fourth, but we still have a significant population. And, we learned through community contacts that five people who were all young male adults had completed suicide within a two-year period, which, you know, one's too many, but this is 
Like, this is starting to be a trend. This didn't come up through research. This came up through, you know, having your ears on the ground. So then, okay, what do we need to do about that? And I actually worked with one of their family members or somebody who had done that. And so we did a, a group of community meetings with the local population that said, okay, maybe mental health services are scary, but they're not really as scary as you think. Uh, people, it's going to be confidential. You don't have to worry about your neighbors knowing. We're not going to call you crazy or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to work with you on what you need to do in order to be okay. And on the healthcare provider side, we said, okay, not many people know about this population in the healthcare service field. And so let me give you, you know, a training on, you know, here are the circumstances that tend to come up. Here's the background. I understand everybody is an individual, so the stories are going to vary, but there are common trends in this particular population so that when people actually come to you, that you're equipped to handle this in the best possible way. Now, that makes a lot of sense. What's your, your biggest takeaway from the book, or what would you want people to take away from the book, the most important element? There's so many elements to it, but is there one thing in particular that you want people to know? Uh, so I think one of the, the, the main points that stuck with me, I already knew, but I, that's really reinforced by the, the information I got through writing the book, is that the level of benefit that society can get from immigration. And this is not just people picking up stuff in the fields. This is at all levels of economic growth and social enrichment and cultural enrichment and so on and so forth. In today's polarized political society, we, we tend to kind of not hit the middle ground on that. People are worried for reasons I understand about the masses at the borders. But if we are able to do that in a, manage that in a reasonable sort of way, then I think we, it's not just we're being nice to the people coming in. It's that we're actually getting something back for the effort that we put in. We're going to have a benefit. It's the, you know, the zero sum game is whatever I get, you lose and whatever you get, I lose. And this is a way to try to expand the pie rather than just assuming that, that it's going to be one wins and the other one doesn't. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Joachim <laughs> Ryman, PhD. He's author of, along with Dolores Rodriguez Ryman, PhD, The Immigrant Concepts, Life Paths to Integration. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Joe, because that's what we're calling him, otherwise I'll keep tripping on his name, Go to <laughs> go to ImmigrantScreening.com. That's ImmigrantScreening.com. And Joe, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Ira. Appreciate it. See, you have an easy name to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> True. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.